what's important to recognize with boundaries is that they are for you. They are not for anybody else. Welcome to Holy Ghosting, a podcast about deconstruction with your middle-aged mom friends. And I'm Lindsay. And when I think about hosting Thanksgiving and Christmas this year, I break out into a cold sweat. I'm dreading it. And I'm Meg. And when I think about my parents' divorce, it was the best time of my life. <laughs> and I'm Sarai. And my parents are still married. And I'm probably only going to host one holiday this year. So I'm fine. <laughs> and today on the show, we are so, so happy and pleased to welcome back to Holy Ghosting, Dr. Laura Anderson. Welcome to the show. Hello. And you're officially a friend of the pod now, yes. right? Oh, we yes. have. Yes. 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 I love that. Friend of the so pod. So I was... So that I can say, I'm Laura and I decorate for all the holidays but don't really celebrate them. <laughs> Good for nice. you. Just put that's just a party vibes. vibes. That's cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, if you didn't know, <laughs> today on the podcast, we are going to talk to Dr. Laura about navigating family dynamics because the holidays are arriving very shortly. Turn and <laughs> I'm not ready. No one's ready. And so we've heard from a lot of people. I just went to a a family reunion with my husband's Christian evangelical-led family, and it got me thinking, I got to change the way that I interact. I I was giving so much of my energy to try to help people understand some of the new things I was learning about and thinking about. And it was exhausting. It was a, it was exhausting to be an advocate constantly all of the time for every marginalized type of person who was not white, cis, hetero, Christian. And that was just like a fun week, not a holiday. So <laughs> I think going into the holidays, it's, it's something that we want to talk about and something that we want to be proactively thinking about so that we can go into these conversations, these situations, and actually have peace while we're there and feel safe in our own bodies and feel safe because we've preemptively given ourselves some tools. So that's where you come in, Laura. And we're so glad that you're here today. So let's get into it. Let's. <laughs> No pressure. There's it's nothing like just telling everyone how to deal with their insane families during the craziest time of year. Uh, like, I guess I want to know, do you have do you have family members that are still in religion? How do you it sounds like you don't celebrate holidays. Has that been your kind of way of protecting your peace? I'm curious, just personally, like how it's gone down for you. And then we can get into some more like giving advice for all of us out there. Like we'll get into our own personal stories too a little bit because all of our family dynamics are different as we're sure that many of our listeners are. It looks, every family looks different, but I do know that the holidays tend to bring a lot of um, stress because it brings a lot of people together that aren't always together. And that is cause Mm -hmm. for some, like I can't wait to sit around that Thanksgiving table and just hope that somebody doesn't bring up, can we talk about end times fear? Like if your parents were into the end times right now, it's a real mind fuck. So 
Mm-hmm. Sorry, mm-hmm. that was a little bit of rep, but you know, like that's the yeah. shit that comes right. up around the dinner table, mm-hmm. and it's like I do not want to touch that with a ten foot pole. Yeah, uh, so yeah, I can empathize. Like my um, all of my family is in Christianity evangelicalism to some extent. I would say one of my siblings is probably on the deconstructing path, but. I don't know that even they would call it that yet. I just, you know, can see from afar what's happening. Um, And yeah, I've got a couple siblings that are ministry professionals and some that, um, yeah, I would say are really, really in it. You know, when we talk about like some of the adjacent Christian evangelical white Christian nationalism where it's like, you know, not QAnon, but not not QAnon, yeah. um, like that sort of thing. And they don't so, know, but you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. They don't know that I know they know. Yeah. Like that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so it is interesting in terms of like dynamics. I, um, gosh, four or five years ago, I mean, they kind of knew I was like, changing all my beliefs and, you know, whatever. But I I had kind of kept it relatively close to the vest in terms of like sitting down and having a conversation. Um, But about five years ago, I did kind of write everybody a letter because I wanted them all to hear the same thing relatively at the same time. And I, I just wanted to be clear, like, hey, here's where I'm at. But also, I'm not interested in having conversations around this where you are trying to proselytize mm-hmm. and get me back in, nor am I interested in proselytizing you towards my own you know, beliefs or whatever. And so if you want to have conversations, I may be open to that depending on the topic. And as long as we keep it a conversation mm-hmm. and not a debate or whatever, um, but I'd like to just kind of reserve the right to, you know, figure that out as we go along. And everybody has been relatively respectful of that um, because my family loves to avoid conflict. So there's that. Yeah. Same. Yeah, <laughs> For same. this one reason, yeah. that's really great. <laughs> Yeah. So, but it is interesting because, you know, I'm closer to some siblings than others. And so, you know, with one sibling and their spouse in particular, like very close, and we can have a lot of different conversations and we acknowledge, like, we don't believe the same things, but, um, but that has, we've learned how to navigate a relationship around that. But there was a period of time where uh, that was very much not okay. Um, I remember one of them saying like, well, you don't follow the Bible, so I actually can't trust your advice. Um, and I was like, oh, wow, okay. And wow, and they, yeah. were, they were like, I can see how your advice would be helpful. And it was around boundaries of all things. And um, they were like, I could see how that would be helpful, but because you don't follow the Bible, I, I just, I don't think I can actually do that. So is that because... I'm just wondering their perspective on that. Is that because you did not present them with a biblical foundation for why these boundaries would be helpful? Or is it because you they just kind of were saying, because I know that you don't you're st- you're not currently coming at the world through a biblical worldview therefore every single thing that comes out of your mouth is an un- ungodly untrustworthy mhm yes the latter yeah wow Oof. like you come as an angel of light <laughs> you <laughs> yeah, know like an angel of light sheep's clothing <laughs> you just show up and you're like i can quote the bible at you like no problem yeah. but they know mm-hmm. like well yeah. i know the state of our heart so 
perhaps she's being the tool of the devil. <laughs> right. Like I, I, I could empathize with where they were coming from in the sense that like, I remember thinking that too. Like you have to right. be wary of anybody who is outside of your belief system and probably dismiss the things that they're saying because they're not coming really from a, like a biblical viewpoint. They're not coming from God, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. So I understood, though I did not like it, I understood where they were coming from. And later on, about a year later, in fact, I still have the voicemail on my phone they called and they were like, hey, I actually did take your advice about the boundaries. Turns out it worked really well. Um, and and I'm trying to grapple with how do I like mm. take advice like that when you're not believing what I believe? And and I just kind of left it. I was like, I'm I'm not going to touch that. That's something for you to grapple with and and mm. you're welcome to ask questions or whatever. But it's been interesting with that bro- uh that brother and sister-in-law in particular where like I've just shown up as kind. Like I I'm there for them. I love them. I, you know, want to be involved in their lives, their kids' lives, and when hard things happen now, I'm the first person that they call Mm -hmm. because they know that they can trust me and they know that I don't like I've stuck to my word. I don't, I don't try to proselytize and, and nor do they. So it's an interesting dynamic for sure. You also potentially are not just offering thoughts and prayers. Like you're Mm -hmm. actually offering (laughs) support Mm -hmm. and like real support and ways that come with practical life application Mm -hmm. instead of just be quiet. Like I'm praying for you. The end, leave it alone. Yeah. Yeah. When you actually Mm -hmm. can go to someone and receive real support. Like the big thing that I've learned this year is that I, God does not, how do I say this in a way that makes sense? Like I don't believe that God is out there giving us things that we can or cannot handle. Like I'm learning that I can have too much to handle, that there isn't this promise that God is going to keep, like only give me as much as, you know, he wants to stretch me to, or he wants to, it's like, I'm not Job over here. Like God (laughs) is not up here being like, nah, give her some more, give her some more. Like when a lot of stuff is happening, Mm -hmm globally, in your own life, in your own community, like it is too much. And we cannot always mm-hmm. handle it because that's not true. Like for me, that that scripture is now not comforting. It actually helped me to now realize, you know what, if that is true, if that is true that God is not going to give me more than I can handle, then he's got me all wrong because I cannot handle all of this all at once. Like, <laughs> And well, there's a breaking you are. point. Handling it. You I mean <laughs> And I don't e- I don't even think that's a scripture, honestly, as I recall. I, I think it's just a shit mm-hmm. the Christians came up with. Yes. They just decided from Job or whatever. Like it's not in the fucking Bible. They just like uh, yeah. I mean, uh, that is a platitude I've heard a lot in my life. There's a verse in the Bible that says something about how God will always give you a way out. Like if there's something basically in front of you that could cause you to sin that he'll always give you a way out. And because I'm not high, I cannot remember the actual passage, 
Turns out I can only remember <laughs> scripture passages when I'm high. Um, we'll have to have you at a high. So time. it's that will be yeah great. yeah. It's like sorry, Laura. <laughs> you're now you're now gonna have to come to high times with the Most High. I don't know if, if everyone's heard about it yet, but it's a you're, thing. You're gonna do. get high with us, and <laughs> we're gonna we're just gonna have do a sword topic. drills. Yeah, <laughs> I will win. I know. Yes. <laughs> Bring it. Oh my gosh. Can't yeah. wait. But there, it, there is that verse. It's somewhere in the New Testament where it's like, you know, God will always provide a way out. And I think that's the verse that people are talking about when they say God's not going to give us more than we can handle. It's like they're basically rephrasing what that verse is when in reality it's like, no, that's actually not what it says. But, you know, we use it as gospel truth. Well, and I think when you tell it to a kid and you're starting to go through like puberty and, you know, things that are happening in your life. And that's that's the one that for me stuck in my brain, like suck it up, mm-hmm. endure, keep going. God will not give you too much. Oh, I just remember it written in like uh, cards from people when my brother died. Like that was literally oh, what people like said to my parents. Yeah. Oh, everything so happens cool. for Gosh. a reason. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. Uh, yeah, everything works out together for the good of those who love the Lord. Like, yeah, that's right. Cool. And the cool, thing cool, is, cool. I know that my parents found comfort in that. Like looking mm-hmm. back, I now, cause my mom like kept the scrapbook. My parents were in ministry forever, uh, are in ministry. And so my brother passed away when he was four. And so they have this whole book kind of chronicling that time and have all the, I don't know. It's just very weird to look at some of the the things. You know that people are they're trying. Th- they are trying to meet you and be empathetic, but it's really not helpful. Which I think leads yeah. into exactly what we're talking about. Like, how do you be in relationship with people who are speaking a different fucking language? Mm-hmm. Like when you mm-hmm. are coming from and and like I was saying earlier before we started recording, I was kind of joking about um, buying our house from a worship pastor and knowing how to like communicate with that person when I wanted to buy this house. And I actually feel like I'm very good at code switching in that way of being able to switch in and out of like Christian language. But I also understand why that is really not safe for some people. And I still identify as a Christian of sorts, like not in the sense that like my parents, I mean, I honestly, it's funny with my parental relationships. I think my parents are just so pumped that I'm their only child that attends a church, even though it's a church with a big rainbow flag on the side of it, you know, like Christian-ish and that's enough for them. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. They don't want to like hang out at my church, but they are pleased that I go to one. (laughs) So how do we get to that language that helps us stay safe? Like you talked about sharing with your your brother and your sister-in-law about boundaries and your boundaries. Mm -hmm. And I think this letter that you wrote, to me, I'm like, oh my God, that'd be so amazing. Could I just get a copy of that? And then I could just like change like the parts that aren't about me, but like all the parts that are about like the boundary setting. So we could just have that as a baseline Mm -hmm. that I could then add my own personal, you know, information to and send it to my husband's family. Because I, I've never been able to communicate things like boundaries. I've never been able to create a safe space within myself until until recently when I finally found some strength in what I believed, when I had reached a point of my deconstruction where I actually realized that I was deconstructing. I think once you get to that point where you're like, oh, that's what I'm doing, okay, then I do know mm-hmm. what I believe in. I do for me, it was, it, I mean, one of the big things was when my um, 
the next generation of kids, um, the nieces and nephews, when when they started to come out, when they started to assert their identities, when they were, you know, high school age, and I started to become an advocate for their autonomy. And and that's kind mm-hmm. of a trend in my life, I think, um, when I look back on it, is that I don't be I'm not a great advocate for myself, but I'm a kick-ass advocate for others. And so mm-hmm. that was like kind of my way. And I've seen Lindsay do this with her family as well. I'm sure a lot of listeners have done this as, as they've kind of come out of their deconstruction and realized, okay, I actually do know why I'm not going to that church anymore. I do know why I do not believe that gay people are going to hell. Personally, it's because I don't believe hell exists, but also it's Same. because I believe that <laughs> People are just people There's and we that. should just leave them the fuck yeah. alone and let them live their lives when they're mm-hmm. not harming anyone. Like, can we just stop trying to control people? Mm-hmm. Side note. Um, but no. yeah, I think that's what Christians in my life are still doing. They're still trying to control people, me, family members, you know. Th- so uh, me being an advocate for others was my first way in. But I love this idea of creating a boundary for my own safety and – and, you know, maybe a letter isn't the thing. Like, what are some phrases or ways that things we can take with us? Um, how do we find that peace in our for ourselves um, so that we can, you know, navigate those those fun family dynamics at the holidays? Yeah, I think, you know, one of the things you slipped in there right at the beginning, Meg, was talking about, like, I kind of found some space inside myself and then I I act out of that space, which is that safety piece or a sense of like identity, empowerment, whatever you might want to call it. And I think that what's important to recognize with boundaries is that they are for you. They are not for anybody else. Mm-hmm. And that's for, that's a mm-hmm. big departure from evangelicalism where boundaries really are rules and the things that mm-hmm. you have to do in order so that I am okay or not sinning or you know not doing whatever I'm not supposed to be doing. And so to even frame that then can help us go, okay, so if a boundary is for me and it's my responsibility to keep that, then I have to be able to identify what is it that I need in order to be able to engage with this person or this situation or this group of people, recognizing that boundaries are actually really fluid depending on a number of factors. It could be the place that I'm at in my own life. It could be the person that I'm with. It could be that this is a particularly trigger situation or holiday or whatever. And so it really does boil down to having like knowing what is going on inside me that would help me create a sense of safety for myself. Now, the other thing is, like I said, boundaries are obviously our responsibilities to, um, like actually uphold them. It would be really nice if everybody would respect everybody's boundaries, but it's virtually impossible because my boundaries are kind of going to bump up against somebody else's boundaries and they're both coming from a good place, but we're wanting different things. So all of that. But I think it's important to also recognize the difference between boundaries and suggestions. A lot of people will be like, I'm setting a boundary. You can't talk to me that way. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's not actually Mm -hmm. a boundary. That's a suggestion. I would like for you to not talk to me that way, okay? Now, that person is able to talk to you however they want, right? Now, that might reflect if they're a safe person or not, if they're somebody who's respectful or not, right? But the boundary is actually saying, 
if if you decide that this is how you want to talk to me, I'm going to have to leave the conversation. Mm-hmm. That's the boundary is what am mm-hmm. I going to do? And so I think that piece is important too. And even thinking through, especially with holidays to say, okay, I might need to, to set a maybe like literally set the scene. So I say, here's the topics that are off the table. And if we go there, I'm going to get up or I'm going to, you know, play this noise on my phone and, you know, like time out everyone, you know, we're going back to talking about football or, you know, whatever it might be, (laughs) something that feels a lot safer. And so that's, that part of it is going like, Hey, you know, I mean, Lindsay, you're, it's like, I'm, I'm doing this at my house, my house, my rules. Right. So there's, there's that piece where we could kind of say like, this is what we're expecting, but ultimately it has to be you who is the one who's Mm -hmm. going, what do we need in order to be safe? And so that does take reflection and it will change. And you can't always anticipate everything either. You might say, Hey, I do have a plan going into this, but people are going to be people. And so they may or may not act in the way that you thought that they would. And we have to be able to roll with that. And that's where that sense of internal safety does actually come into play because then we go, yeah, you know, Johnny can be doing this and Sally can be doing that and whomever can be doing whatever, but I still have a way to feel safe inside of myself. So what you're saying is God might not always give you a way out, but you can always give you a way out. <laughs> That's exactly Hell yes. what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I think your point about like what a boundary is, I feel like we could say that 18 times over because mm. it is so Important. I'm like, can we just put that on a loop on social media? Yes. <laughs> um, but I think because like as the like as people are getting more familiar with like therapy speak, I'm seeing mm-hmm. these words be wielded, especially boundaries. Like it's the whole Jonah Hill thing and how yes. like I don't know how like how he said that a boundary of his was his girlfriend not posting pictures of herself in bikinis, like his surfer girlfriend. Anyways. Mm-hmm. Like it was a way for him to control her, right? He was being mm-hmm. controlling, manipulative, gaslighting, but he's using therapy speak. And mm-hmm. I think that, like, especially as people have gotten this, I just hear people use these terms and say, Well, I set that boundary. And it's like, mm-hmm. Okay. What do you have to say for uh, like guidelines for how to set boundaries? Is it just like what mm-hmm. feels safe for you? Because also, like, what if you're setting a boundary you just know that they're not going to respect? Like, I also feel like, how do you navigate, like, setting something that feels really good for you, but also that, like, maybe they might actually do? But you're saying well, it's, 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 you're the, you're the actor in it, right? Like, you can't control yeah. them. And so yes. you need to set it up in a okay. way that. I'll, okay. I'll ask a question. Lindsay's yeah. in the kitchen. Yes. She's prepared whatever insanely delicious, amazing, fancy meal for whatever holiday it is, because we know she's going to host them all, okay? And so she has put love and effort and care and time, mm-hmm. and then she creates this beautiful environment. She kind of sets these these loose boundaries that are just like, we're here to fellowship and love and eat and be happy, and then she's in the kitchen, and someone's in the kitchen with her in her space where she needs to be. Mm-hmm. Because she's like timing the gravy with when the turkey comes out. So obviously, (laughs) it's a critical moment. How does she still 
in her body, in her space, because, you know, the tension rises, the shoulders go up close to the ears, mm-hmm. you feel it in your body, you're like agitated. I can't leave. It's my house. I right? can't even I can't even pop a gummy. I did learn this a couple years ago when I was baking Thanksgiving <laughs> rolls. I was baking Thanksgiving rolls the night before to like get it done. I totally burned myself on the oven rack because oh. I was a little high. You can't She's cook a turkey while high. It's yeah. the wrong strain, Lindsay. You I don't get know. The strains that help just... <laughs> Up here, and they keep your body moving. Mm, yeah. All right, we'll work on it. We'll work on it. Um, but yeah, yeah, what what are things in those moments? I mean, uh, breathing. Mm-hmm. It's like there's all the things that I kind of like tacitly know. Mm-hmm. But I would love to give like Lindsay. Let's help you get through that moment of like, all right, how do I protect my peace mm-hmm. when I have just me and I can't leave and I can't mm-hmm. escape and I don't want to say something that's going to spark a whole big horrible Mm -hmm. thing. How do we do it? There's some maybe like simpler ways where it's like you literally could, this sounds weird, but like ignore them and change the subject. So if it's like we're talking about something, it could be as simple as literally just not acknowledging what it is that they're saying. And I call them like tennis balls, like having some tennis balls ready to throw. So Mm -hmm. I'm going to talk about this TV show. I'm going to talk about what my kid is doing in school, like really neutral, generally safe topics that, you know, you've understood from the past. These are, these generally go okay. If you needed to, you could say something like, you know what? I'm not interested in having that conversation on a day like today. So (laughs) what else would you like to talk about? So yeah. you could just, you know, that that really is setting a boundary because what you're saying is, I'm not interested in talking about this, so I'm not going to, right? And then you, it's your job. They they could keep talking, <laughs> but you're not going to. You're not going to engage in it, right? And you're also inviting them into conversation. Say, I'm not saying I'm not talking about anything with you. I still want to connect with you. We're just not going to connect over this thing, The other, I mean, you could go to a more quote unquote severe option where you say, you know what, why don't you go into the living room? And I think I'm (laughs) going to go ahead and take care of this myself, right? Where, where it's like, you know what, that actually would be better. Yes. It's more work for me, like physically, but mentally it would be better for this person to leave. So you kind of have like almost like some tiers of things where you, you could, overtly say things or overtly act in ways where you say like, it's time for you to leave now, or you could just not acknowledge what it is and just redirect the conversation and maybe they'll get it. Maybe they won't. Or, I mean, you could put a sign on the kitchen door that says, here's, you know, the topics that are allowed to be talked about in this room. But like little conversation things on a note card that you're like, Hey, if you're not sure... Draw it out of a hat, you know, make it it fun, make it a game. Yeah. 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 I have a client who lives in a very, like a deep red state. She's a hairdresser. um, And she tends to not vote in the majority of what that state is. And so she's got a lot of clients in her chair that bring up a lot of political things and social justice things and whatever. And she's not even, it's not that she doesn't want to engage in discussion. She's like, I just don't want to do that all day long. Like, I would rather, you know, talk about reality TV and this and that or whatever. So she literally put a sign up on her mirror and it says off limit topics and has them listed off. And as soon as somebody hits one of them, she redirects the conversation or points to the sign 
and then redirects the conversation. And it's funny because she's actually gotten feedback from her clients, how much they appreciate like coming into a space where it's like, you really can shoot the shit. You're not going to have to talk about the deep, dark things of life because you talk about that everywhere else. And here you're coming to get pampered and to talk about frivolous things if you want. So (laughs) there could be something like that. There can be planning involved in it. If you, I like that idea. Frivolous mm-hmm. conversations only. I envision yeah. like the, like in our America sign, but it's like yeah. in our house, we don't talk yeah. about Donald Trump or <laughs> lizard people or what, you know, whatever. Like, yes. yes. And or, you know what? The truth yeah. is people will always obey a sign if you just silently clear your throat or like you don't have to mm-hmm. be silent. <laughs> clear your throat mm-hmm. or not and just point to the sign mm-hmm. and be like, Ooh, mm-hmm. it's the rules. It's You know, down. a fun font helps. Like a real yeah. Like a Comic fun. Sans makes yeah. a great sign for yes. your home. Yes. The aesthetic is so pleasing. I'm just, I'm just going to go full like – Karen on the signs in my house in Comic Sans font with what you can't talk about with holidays. Just kidding. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they're all just taped up on the sides. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's funny because my family is actually not the quintessential get into giant political arguments at that. We are much more conflict avoidant than that. My my grandpa sometimes will. And it's hard again because I can't get his wheelchair bound and like gets dropped off by public transportation to my we like mm. rent a wheelchair ramp it's like a whole thing so he's like stuck there and he's going to be the one who might say the most problematic stuff but also let me tell you being the cook is really helpful in these situations cuz i just naturally have a thing to do that keeps me out of the conversations mm. anytime you want yeah but it's more it's the subtle things and i think that that's where i'm Mm-hmm. getting better about coming up with some boundaries around them because it's more the like the mm-hmm. family member that has chosen to go no contact and mm-hmm. ha- but hasn't really communicated that boundary and so then I'm left with the questions of like well why aren't they here and what's going on and what's going on with it and I feel I get put as the middleman in my family a lot mm-hmm. um and so I think that like it's more not even like what we can and can't talk about it, it's mm-hmm. more don't ask me about that's not for me to answer like that's not and so this year yeah. I was like hey you need to communicate if you're not coming because last year was a little yeah. bit like I might or I might not and then they didn't mm-hmm. and then it really felt like it was left on me to be like hey sorry they don't want to be around you. Like that feels really Mm -hmm. shitty. Right. And so I think that that is being communicated this year, which is at least a step in the right direction. Mm -hmm. But I still worry that like, I'm going to get cornered by my mom about Mm -hmm. the why of it all. And some of that is, I I call it the broken record response where like you come up with, okay, so you have a history and this would be true for many people of like, knowing pretty much the order of questions, how things are going to be asked, what the topics are. And so kind of coming up with some like patent responses that you can just like put on repeat, like a broken record. So when mom corners you to talk about whatever you say, you know what? I, I can sense that this is really important to you. So you're validating what they're saying, Mm -hmm. but this is not something that I feel comfortable talking about. So I'm setting a boundary why don't you talk to this sibling, right? Or this person or whatever. And so you're giving, you're saying, I'm validating you. Here's my boundary. Here's an option for you, but it's not going to be me. Well, but I just, I just want to say this. What? No, I know this is important to you, but this is not something I'm willing to talk about. And you can go talk to this sibling and you just stick 
to that answer and you do not waver from it. Because once they figure out that is the only answer they're going to get, they might huff off It's and it's going to be hard and awkward. But usually most people learn, okay, that's not an area we can go. And I don't like it, but I'm not getting any information from that person. Mm. So I'm literally wasting my breath by asking them that thing. I know that was something I did with some family members where it, they would come to me and say, yeah, but what about this or that? And I, and I literally, my first question would be like, have you talked to that person about it? Mm. And they're like, no. And I said, well, then I don't want to hear. Mm. And that was just like, that was it. And it's interesting because, I mean, it's probably been six or seven years since I've had to say that because they figured out like, this is not a conversation we're going to have. I will not be engaging in this with you. And so you're going to be talking to somebody who is non-responsive. The, that's the boundary, the non-responsive. I'm not going to engage in it. Easier said than done. And what I will say is boundaries take practice, right? When we are in family systems, we all we have this way that we interact, right? So you, Lindsay, said, I'm the middleman often. And that was a role that you learned how to play as a survival technique and in order to make the family flow. And so you're going, I want to step out of that. And they're like, nah, this is how we function, right? So by you stepping out of it, it's causing this like up and down upheaval. And they have to try to learn how to come back to a status quo without you playing that role. And that's not particularly fun. And that's where we do start to see pushback where it's like, they might call names, they might make accusations, they might give the silent treatment, they might try to ingratiate themselves to you to try to get you back into that system to play that role. And it is really difficult because it's your family. And it's like, okay, I this is hard to like resist it. But typically, if you can you know, kind of occupy yourself other places and let them ride that wave of discomfort and figure out how to create a new sense of stasis, then you will be able to engage with them in a way that feels like you have more choice where I'm not having to just play a role simply because that's what I've done since I've been five. Um, yeah. It, so it is easier said than done, but oftentimes if we uh, like just kind of encourage ourselves to stick with it, typically things will start to shift. That's not every family, but in a lot of cases it is. I've definitely thought a lot about um, how being raised evangelical and especially being raised, you know, being assigned female at birth and being raised as a, a girl in evangelicalism, aside from all the purity culture bullshit, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, it is kind of like just a lifelong boot camp in how to be codependent. And mm. codependency, just for any listeners who haven't heard that therapy speak word, it's, it, you know, it has usefulness to me because it sort of defines a set of behaviors that originally were kind of ascribed to people who were partnered with somebody with an addiction. Um and, you know, adult children of alcoholics in particular. And so it's sort of like there's a party that's sort of pushing boundaries. There's a party that's like receiving the pushing of. It's a lot of um, learning how to try to anticipate what other people are going to want and need without them having mm -hmm. to say it. It really is a matter of how we don't speak things really in our relationships. Like we don't define what they're going to be. We just let them happen. And then we're like, why doesn't this feel good? to me because I assumed mm -hmm. that 
when you're my mom, this is the way moms act, you know, or I assume when you're my husband, this is how husbands act. Like, but now what do I do? You know, because it's not living up to my expectations. So what I found personally is just starting to dig into some of those behaviors and learn how to be in my body more. Because what I found is I don't know what my boundaries are if I'm not in my body. I only know what I'm thinking. And my brain is always like going, going, going. You know, I might step in and play that sort of give the information about the other children to my parents, you know, for my sister. Like she doesn't love to go hang out all the time and she's an introvert and whatever. And so I found over the years I learn oh, I'm doing this thing where I'm like telling my sister's story. That's fucking weird. I should stop Mm -hmm. doing that. Now I'm going to stop doing that. And then, Mm -hmm. but I do find that I go to it if they're getting, my parents are getting too inquisitive about my life. (laughs) And I'll just be like, oh, here's something low stakes. I'll just say about Jackie, like my sister. (laughs) And and it's not like bad. It's just, you know, oh, and you know, and Oscar's doing great and whatever. That's my, you know, my nephew. Mm -hmm. It is interesting. And I think for me, unlearning codependency and like relearning the basic Mm. place of like, here's where I begin and end. And here's where you begin and end. And like, Mm -hmm. whatever the case is, like we're autonomous and we are sovereign unto ourselves. And at the same time, I want to, I do want to connect. Like I do love my family. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of it has been even just opening it up and saying like, Hey, here's this idea of of codependency. And like, here's what it looks like in practice. I remember sharing Melody Beattie's book, Codependent No More with my brother, with my whole family, actually, when I was getting, it was before I got divorced, like a couple of years before that. And my brother, my youngest brother and my dad were both like, what are you talking about? This is just being a normal person. And I was like, exactly. That's the point. Because in in Christianity (laughs) Mm -hmm. and in conflict avoidant homes, like Mm -hmm. that's what we do. And and I've heard it even discussed as people describing their parents' addiction to religion as Mm -hmm. very similar to kind of an alcoholic thing. There's lots Mm -hmm. of corollaries there, which is really fascinating. But I don't know. I'm wondering if there's – if you find usefulness in that kind of set of tools um, and how much of – this is like bleeding into each other. I I just like to find different ways of looking at things and kind of having a new mm-hmm. perspective on it. That's my b- big problem. <laughs> codependency. Yeah. yeah. I am a fan of like talking about codependency and figuring out how that plays out in so many of our lives. Um, I love Melanie Beattie's work. I really like her book that she wrote after Codependent No More, which is called The New Codependency, because it spans out from just um, addiction and like being in relationship with addicts. I feel like it's easier for people to apply. But one of the things I that also comes to mind with that, and this is especially for individuals coming out of high control religion, especially uh, if you were born into it, if you were um, assigned female at birth, socialized female, or a woman is the trauma response or nervous system response of fawning, Mm -hmm. which is very, very close to what codependency might look like. Mm -hmm. And so oftentimes when we work on the the trauma response and nervous system piece, some of those behaviors will naturally go away because we're not maybe truly codependent. Maybe it was more of a survival thing. Mm -hmm. And I found that to be 
true in in situations like this where we're coming out of high control religion because for women and children especially there wasn't other options available um you think about a child they're not able to fight back they get in trouble for that they can't flight where are they going to go? They, they don't have a car. They can't get out of there, right? And so they're left with these kind of decisions of freezing, so kind of numbing out, dissociating, which we often see, and fawning, which is like pleasing, sub, um, submitting, appeasing, ingratiating yourself. So f- that oftentimes looks like, what can I do to make sure that you are okay? Because if you're okay, I'm okay. Mm-hmm. Um, what do I need to kind of shave off of myself to be palatable to you or to make you comfortable? Mm-hmm. Um, and we do that out of a way, out of a place of survival. Um, and yes, it. I think over time, it turns into what we might traditionally call codependency. But when we peel it back and look at some of the roots of it, we're going, this was the way that I learned to survive in this system. If I didn't have these skills to be able to ingratiate myself, then I was potentially being disconnected or in some very real ways, like I would not have my needs met. Um, so I think that that's kind of important to consider too, especially when we're talking about, okay, now we're we're adults, we're not having to deal with things in the same way. Um, and we go, okay, I'm learning about codependency, but I can't figure out why is it that it's so hard to employ boundaries? Why is it so hard to be in relationship? And I would say it's probably a good idea then to take a look at this might actually be a trauma response and your body is going back to the quote unquote scene of the crime, right? Where you're Mm -hmm. having to survive and you're having to uh, navigate this family system that really only works as long as you show up in this very specific way. And so that, that to me feels really important to point out. And it's not like, okay, so just stop fawning, right? That it's, it's more than just that it's, it's more holistic, but I think sometimes knowing like, Oh, I'm I'm doing this thing. Can I get curious about that? Mm-hmm. Can I start to go, okay, what else is happening in my body? Maybe my heart is beating really fast or my face is flushing or I'm feeling really antsy or a little panicky or whatnot. And I can start to get in touch with some of those physiological sensations and that might clue me into some different resources, tools, intervention skills that I could employ so that I can come back into this time and space to be more grounded, oriented to this, um, to, to the present surroundings, and ultimately find a place of internalized safety and stability. That makes so much sense. I've, I've heard and I've read a little bit on, on fawning before, but it makes mm-hmm. sense how it's a little bit different. Question about that is... I'm so curious as people are starting to think on these sort of things and we're going into the holidays and all of that and say so you have classically done uh, a lot of fawning. Do mm-hmm. you recommend that people like, is it just a hard stop or is it almost still got to be a survival technique? Like maybe you can't fully rip off the Band-Aid yet because, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I think that I, and this is coming from, I'm asking for, uh, I'm asking for a friend, <laughs> Just, but I think like <laughs> we're constantly with our families, right? We're constantly weighing the risk versus reward and trying to figure out mm-hmm. if I truly show up as like myself mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and the me that I want to be, is it worth the fucking turmoil that comes afterwards? You know what I mean? Like I yeah. don't always have the mm-hmm. emotional space. And so I just continue to be the people pleaser because I don't want to deal with the aftermath. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Or the during math. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is that physical trigger of feeling those feelings that we don't want to feel. And mm-hmm. we we like even with the tools of naming them, like we might call it anxiety, but we might mm-hmm. misattribute anxiety to a current trauma happening, mm-hmm. which is something mm-hmm. that I've been unraveling in my own life lately a lot, especially just given some personal circumstances of like mm-hmm. how much of this is just me literally experiencing and re-experiencing mm-hmm. trauma and not being able to process it in the moment and having to process mm-hmm. it after. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I'll say that. And I don't, I'm sorry, Dr. Laura, I don't want to step on your toes to actually discuss this. But like, for me, one of the things I noticed, Lindsay, is like for my relationship with my mom and everyone else, the more I show up as just myself, the more I can't stop just being myself. <laughs> and my family knows me like they're they know who I am. I, I can't pretend to be some other guy. And so yeah. my parents have been they've seen me and been with me during many of these different stages. Like my dad is connected with me in different ways than my mom. And my dad has been more like in step with me and or like, oh, I'm going to really think about that and and changing his viewpoints on things, whereas my mom is so rigorous. But that for me, I've learned I don't need to own her anxiety. Like even though I feel her anxiousness and like the way that she herself might be not honoring her own boundaries, like for me, that piece about feeling into my body and like being with my body has allowed me to have more individuation, I guess, away from over-identifying with my my parents' discomfort and trying to caretake everybody in the room. Like I'm kind of just more okay with letting things happen as they do. And I think it's a lot because my therapist has has long helped me understand that the choices I make for myself that are right for me are the right choice, period. And whether mm-hmm. I wish that I didn't have to make those choices because it affects someone else in a way that I don't want them to have to experience, like leaving my husband, that that was a hard thing to do. Like I didn't like him. I had a miserable fucking life, but I loved myself enough to finally leave. And I also stayed mm. for at least five extra years after I knew I didn't want to do this, had two babies in the meantime, you know, and then finally was able to go. And my therapist even recently was like, don't you dare rob this person of this opportunity for emotional growth. It is you mm. get to do yours and they get to do theirs and it's not your job to do it for them. And I I just think that's helpful. I, I uh, thought I'd throw it out there because again, I really do feel like healing trauma and all of the things that we all have accumulated over the years in the world, and I think especially in high control religion, is the key to liberation, at least for me. Like, and that I think is mm. true for most people. Actually, I think that dissolute, like that disconnection from our minds and bodies, that kind of Pauline dualism, if you will, take my adorable Christian college bullshit. <laughs> um, that is, I think, where we have lost our own ability to manage ourselves and to be resilient to other people's attempts to control us. You know, I made a yeah. pledge to myself that my home was going to be a safe place. Like, I grew up with an alcoholic father um, and really abusive environment where he would come home and it was his safe space. So when he was there, everyone was to fall in line, you know to whatever his whim or desire or mood or whatever it was. So my home was also not a safe space, 
My bedroom was not a safe space because anyone could just open the door at any point without asking to come in or that. So I was a kid who was in my closet a lot and found safety in having kind of a second door that I could not be barged in on. And I'd like be in there reading. You know, I I was just like trying to find some quiet, safe space in my home. So when I kind of realized how much I was even in my home, my I'm an adult, my name is on the like, well, the mortgage, I don't own it. Um, my name is on it. I'm like, this is my space. This is my my space where my my kid and my family should feel safe no matter what. Like we have to make this place okay and safe. And so I kind of realized I needed to say, when you're in my home, we love everyone here. We're not going to disparage people. We're not going to have harsh words. It's going to be a kind place for everyone and everyone is going to feel safe here. And if you're going to come in as a, an evangelical, as a Christian, I, I want you to feel safe here too. But what I won't allow is for your safety to take over the safety that I've created in my home. And we are going to talk about things in my home like colonization, white supremacy. We are going to talk about um, laws that are harming trans kids uh, because those are things we care about. And if you don't want to participate in those conversations, if you don't want to have a kind uh, perspective on these subject matters, I've created a beautiful guest space for you to go to at any time in my home that you can go and close the door and you can have a safe space for you. And I welcome I welcome that. But if you're going to be in our space, I made it. I made the decision. I'm going to push back on certain subjects. I'm going to assert my beliefs on certain things when I feel like I want to engage. And that was a bold thing for me to do. Um, and it took me 20 years to actually create that safe space in my own home for myself and my family. Um, and let's just say we host a lot less visitors of a certain kind now because they maybe don't feel like loving thy neighbor means loving everyone. And that's okay with me. But my dynamic with my family is they all know. I'm very outspoken about my political opinions. Mm. But then we come to Thanksgiving and we don't talk about them, which works for us, but then maybe doesn't work. So that I'm all, these are the things I'm trying to figure out. It's like, I have just for a long time, we just don't get into it. Right. But now I have these siblings that are like, even that isn't working. Right. Like they're mm. not safe people. I don't want to be around them, mm. which is valid. But then I'm also feeling this weird amount of guilt that like, am I a bad person for continuing to just put up this facade? Like where you know who I actually am and what I believe mm. in. And I know who you you're are. you're not confronting. Is it because you're like holding yeah. back? Do you and I don't want feel to confront them? That's my big no. question. Like, no, yeah. I don't. Because and I think there's there's a miss. Like a lot of people are like, okay, so if I'm if I'm different and or I I've fled away from the family's belief system, I have to have these big conversations of like, here's who I am, or I have to address every issue as it comes up. I don't actually think that that's necessary. For some people, it might be, or it might be in certain seasons. Like I said, so like, I mean, I wrote this letter to my family 
my family still does and says a lot of things that are according to their belief system that I don't believe or I don't agree with. I don't think it's my place or nor do I have the time or energy to get into it with them every single time. If they ask my opinion and I want to engage in the conversation, I will. But you get to be the person who decides like, is it worth it to have those conversations? Like, yes, they do know who you are, um, but they don't ask about it. But are they really safe enough people that would be able to have a conversation that would be led with respect and um, empathy and compassion both for you and for others and, and vice versa, right? Like, right. you know, it's like, okay, can I have a conversation where I can be open to respecting them as well? I think especially coming out of high control religion, there's this idea that in order to like have relationships, I have to tell you every single thing about me and every single thing that I'm doing and every single boundary that I'm putting in place. And I'm like, you really don't because like there are just certain people that are never going to be able to understand it. And in fact, would be more, would cause more disconnect to overtly have those conversations than to say, you know what, I'm going to keep living my life. They are always welcome to ask a question, but I don't have to like sit them down and be like, all right, mom and dad. So you've seen these signs around my house. And I just <laughs> want to share with you why I purchased this one and what I think about when I see this magnet on my refrigerator. <laughs> like that, it's like that probably would be rather unhelpful. Yeah. Now, the other piece, I think this is kind of what you were saying, Meg, is like when we're like in this process of healing, we like cannonball into waters that we don't know how to swim in. And so mm -hmm. if I'm working with a client, like you said, do I just like rip the bandaid off and just start, you know, being this person, authentic me or whatever? And I would say, maybe, but also maybe not. I think it's fair to say like, what is the smallest but most tolerable thing that I can do that allows me to show up in this like tiny, authentic way that might be uncomfortable, but not intolerable. So like the poster on the wall, it's like, okay, this is going to cause a little bit of like discomfort for me and for them, but it feels safe enough to do that. Like, I'm not going to die <laughs> when I'm doing this. Mm -hmm. I could have some conversations. I feel okay with it. It is authentically me, um, but it's not so over the top where it's like they're going to storm out or I'm going to melt down or, you know, whatever. And so we go, uh, it's this concept called titration where we add just a little bit at a time that feels manageable and tolerable. So it's like we're, we are like increasing our ability to tolerate that discomfort so that we do get to a point where. 20 years later, you're like, yeah, I can have these people in my home and I can set these rules and they're generally respected. And when they're not, I can have those conversations or I can show up in this way and, and it doesn't throw me outside that window of tolerance. It doesn't throw me into the space of being like, get the fuck out of my house. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's just like, Hey, sign on the wall, right? You know, mm -hmm. like that's what we're doing. So I think, you know, ripping the bandaid off sometimes is great for certain people. For most people though, going slower at first is always going to be key. And then that actually allows you to go faster. Oh yeah. I just think that like, that's really interesting. And I think I struggle with like, am I enabling toxic family systems by not being the person who, I also have a sibling who's like the like, mic drop, I'm going to like, you know, is like, likes to it, it is more mad about stuff and like whatever that's fine 
I think the thing that I just have to realize is that there is like no scenario with families, especially families like ours, who some of them are very enmeshed in toxic religion. Like there isn't really a way that everybody wins. And that's what I want. I want everyone to be happy. And I want my house to be a safe space. I want everyone to truly feel welcome at my house. But knowing that like I have people coming from such different walks of life with such different beliefs, like it's fucking impossible. I want the impossible, but I can't have it. Say, I think being able to give yourself permission for that is really helpful. Because, you know, I think about like even um, like social media is a great place for this where people will say to be a true ally, you have to do this and this and this. And then another person of that same group will say, no, to be a true ally, you have to do this and this and this. And then another person says, no, to be a true ally. And it's like, okay which one am I supposed to be? And yeah. really it's like none. You just need to be yourself. And hopefully like you just, that's like an outflow of who you are, but there it's hard to, to hold the tension to say like, there is going to be some people then that feel incredibly supported by these choices that I've made. And there's other people that might consider me to be very unsafe. And I know like I've had to wrestle with that. I don't, I don't do like public cancellations, public callouts, public punishment. That is not who I am, nor has it ever been who I am. And I get accused of not being a safe person, not mm. being an ally, mm. not being an advocate. And I've had to just sit with that and go, okay, I know that I am. I know, like, I know who my friends are. I know what, where I spend my time, energy, dollars, resources, whatever. And I know that I'm coming from a good place. And I know that by doing or saying what I'm doing, I'm, am sticking to my values. And I'm happy to have conversations with people behind the scenes, which is how I do address things. Mm -hmm. It's just not in a public setting. And some people say, that's really awesome. Like, I think you're a safer person because of that. Another person says, you are not safe because of that. Mm. So it's like this idea of going, especially when we're coming from such polarizing positions, like you might try, you might have every minute of every of every day plan and 7,000 Comic Sans posters <laughs> up around the house Wallpaper. with all the rules. Yes. And it's going to be great. And all like everything is planned to a T. And there is still going to be at least one person that's like, but you didn't take me into consideration. Mm -hmm. Did you think about how this would make me feel? It's like, oh, shit, that I did. You know, like yeah. that's – it's hard. So it is grappling with yourself to say like how do I show up in a way that's true to my values knowing that I'm not for everyone. <laughs> like I'm not – it's not my job to make everybody happy. Um I'm and you try can't, but it to but like it be kind. <laughs> no, Lindsay, like, I'm, just, try I'm joking. I'm yeah. Sorry, any Enneagram three over here, so I do feel like it is my job to make everyone like me. All yeah. I'm a three with a strong two wing, so I'm like I'm gonna work really hard and I'm gonna do all these things for you, and you all better love me for it. That's like yeah, sounds my, exhausting. It sounds is like very exhausting. Oh yeah, very yeah. good Christian girl too. Like <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. 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 One way that know? I was able to kind of break out of that, like, because I 100% to create safety, I was always trying to anticipate other people's needs, yeah. other people's moods, other people's wants. Oh, fawning. Oh, yeah. Uh -huh. And then, um, and then once I once I kind of stopped it, it was because a, a friend of mine, a friend of the pod, Meredith Holly with Eris Conflict Resolution, uh, is a dear old friend of mine, and she said something to me that broke my brain. Hmm. What if you make a game out of it? Hmm. 
every single time that I would walk into these situations, I was stressed. I was so anxious. I was on the verge of panic attacks. It was like, how am I going to make sure that people feel safe, but also that you know my my voice can be heard because I'm I'm not really a loud person who likes to interject when people are loudly being homophobic, for instance. Mm. Um, how was I going to do that? And I was so intimidated. I want to make sure everybody is happy and pleased and all of that. But when you make a game out of it, you get to do this. Every time somebody says something that's homophobic, you get a point. Every time, maybe you get a thousand points for homophobia. I don't know. You get to make it up. That's what's the best about this game is that you get to make it up and you get to be like, what are the things that I am going to just be like, oh, grandpa's being racist again. Because you can't confront yeah. every single thing. You cannot mm-hmm. try to um, referee all of the things between the younger kid generation and the older people. It's like all of those times of like just enduring the stress of it. Take a breath. How many points do you want to get today? A million? That could be fun. How do I get to a million? What do you do Is- with the points? You get whatever you want with the you point. get a gold a star. Okay, yeah. you what? get a, you get a you get a plaque pack of get, gold gold star stickers. You get yep. a you get a um a trophy. You make up. I don't the game. know. You make what up do the you prize. get? That's the best part. Okay. You get to make your best <laughs> prize, and you get to have a fucking blast doing it. It totally shifted my perspective from I'm going to walk into this battlefield where I need mm. to have all of the armor on. You know, the sword of truth and the helmet of salvation, all that sure. shit. You can eat all of it. Your feet are shod. That's and then really yeah. great. you walk it needs in to and be you like, just have your bingo card. Right, you like, it needs your... to be bingo. And if you fill out your bingo card, that means like you get to book an extra therapy session. Like, there you go. <laughs> you know what I mean? There like, no, go. therapy cannot come soon enough. Cause, or like, get yourself a massage or something if you or like, like every time. And play the game. Just, it's like, yeah. get oh, to a I place, have... right? Where we get to just enjoy it. Enjoy it in a way where you kind of get to just be like, oh, there goes racist grandpa again. And then, you know, maybe next year you wear the, like, fuck your racist grandma sweatshirt. I don't know. I'm just, like, throwing right. out some ideas, right. you know? Yeah. Yeah. Just keep I, it fun. Keep it light. I also think it's okay. Oh, I should, like, I should oh, get ahead. some sort of apron for Thanksgiving that's, like, a decolonize or, you know, like, the first Thanksgiving yes. was a lie or something. Mm-hmm. That's, that's Columbus it. committed genocide. We always, I mean, my sister, who now is not coming to things this year, is always the one to show up with, like, political shirts and I will miss that. I might need to do that in their stead. So love it. Um, That's right. Hey listeners, yeah, yeah. make a bingo card. Get yourself some gold stars. Maybe there's a trophy that you and a sibling could rival over. Don't don't make it a drinking game because you will mm-hmm. get wasted. Bad idea. You'll get yeah. absolutely yeah. wasted. No. <laughs> drinking games happen <laughs> after. So it's like you do the bingo card and then later as you get to decompress, like for me, I go into like my little outdoor lounge with all of my favorite libations. And then you just get to like, what I would do with Meredith is that then we would go hang out and we'd have a glass of wine and I would talk about all the points I got from my last conversation with whoever or, you know, and, and then everyone wants to hear the tea after a family holiday, like please, especially Meredith. Then you play a drinking game and you see how many times each of you got to win a gold star. I mean, there's so many ways that we can play games and make things that are stressful into a thing that we actually can be like, does this mm-hmm. need to stay in my body in a tense way? Mm-hmm. Or can I alleviate it by laughing at the absurdities? And mm-hmm. yeah, you know, we all live to host another holiday. 
And maybe this year we can do it with a little less of that stress and a little more of finding our safety and maintaining it and creating that safe space for all of our family, Mm -hmm. whether or not they want it or not. (laughs) I'm going to make safe space for everybody. I also want to suggest, I mean, for me, I I think a big part of this for every individual in dealing with their own family and the dynamics that exist therein is so much about trusting yourself. Trust yourself when you're like, I'm agitated right now. Like, do I want to turn this into a game? Sure. Or am I like so appalled at the level of this conversation that I do need to say something? And that happens. Mm-hmm. I I definitely... And that, again, like knowing your audience, I'm not going to have a big conversation with my mom necessarily about trans rights. She's not going to learn. She's not going to try to do that. Like, she doesn't even call me Sarai, which is my name and has been my name since 2007 because I changed it when I got married. Um, And so that's a long time. (laughs) And she still yelled at me my old name from the kitchen last night when she was here for dinner. And I was like, okay, well. Are you talking to me? Why? I don't, that's not the name. But at the same time, I'm like, she's not going to fucking learn. And it's fine. Like, I don't need her to because we're not hanging out all the time. And sometimes she's tried to say my name, but she doesn't really like it. But, you know, I mean, it's, I also respect other people's pace at the same time. If they're going to say really terrible things about groups of people or individuals. Like I have cousins. I have a cousin whose child is trans. I have multiple cousins who are trans and gay. And like, it's not weird. It's just uh, a conversation that I will pitch in. Like, hey, what if you just let people be who they are? Does it hurt you for them to exist this way? Like there's those kinds of things where I think I also, having once been a Christian and having the same values I have now, like Meg mentioned, I still wonder like as a Christian, how is it that you think this? And this is your political Mm -hmm. approach when it doesn't have anything to do with Jesus and like the whole idea of, you know, it's not a religion, it's a relationship. It's just like, okay, get your shit together, guys. Like if you're going to believe shitty things, then I am going to ask you about it in the context of of the language I do still know how to speak, right? Like it's not it's not about me creating comfort for them and being assholes. It's about me occasionally when it's the time to stand up for something, I I do. And I trust myself to know the difference. And I'm also okay with the discomfort that's going to happen because I realize no matter what, you know, my mom is generally going to feel uncomfortable around me. And that's sad for her because I'm delightful. But um, <laughs> And she is too. Are. That's like the most annoying thing. I'm like, I really like her and it would be fun to hang out. But mm. also, like, whatever. Everybody can do what they can do. But trust and to yourself. Be clear, right. And to be clear, we are not saying to like let things slide or let your relatives mm-hmm. say racist things or especially like misgender people, dead mm-hmm. name people, all of those things. Like when you can and when it is safe for you, please do call those things out. And when it, I think that especially like in my family, like having a, a, a non-binary like nibbling, like I want to make sure that like their pronouns are, if they're not there, like they are being correctly spoken about. Like that's a really yeah. simple way um, if it's like the bigger ginormous like uh, political arguments, like yeah, no, but like make sure that mm-hmm. like even if that person isn't there, that they are being respected and being treated uh, with respect. I will say that. Um, and 
I think that for me, uh, one big thing is learning how to grieve, like what family holidays were Mm -hmm. and what they are Mm -hmm. now. And like figuring out, yeah, that dynamic and how it changes and knowing like it's okay to change and it's okay that like family got like again because I want to be a safe person and so I'm like well can't we all gather at my house but I understand that like it's not just me we're talking about it's a whole family dynamic with a lot of baggage there and if people choose to opt out of that for their own safety that's okay and I can be sad about that too Mm -hmm. I am allowed to grieve that and so I think it's just like Mm -hmm. whoo it's complicated it's heavy I know this is a subject that's gonna continue to be something that we work through and that we need to keep talking about. And there's a lot of work. I think what I'm hearing from you, Dr. Laura, is that we are starting with ourselves. That's who we can Mm -hmm. make an impact on is ourselves. And I know that your new book, When Religion Hurts You, has so many more tools for people um, to help Mm -hmm. heal us from our religious trauma and even just the impact on our lives from being in high control religion. Yeah, thank you. This has been a good conversation because uh, it kind of goes with my book a little bit in the sense that there's a it's a lot of like starting points, um, but most of the chapters, and I actually point this out in the book, is like it's about really starting with you and and re- recognizing that that's where the healing starts first. And it's not like, oh, I have to be healed so then I can be in relationship with other people. That's like a cliche, stupid, whatever, untruth. Um, but it does stand to reason that as we get healthy within ourselves, as we can resolve and recover from trauma, we have capacity to be in relationship with people in a whole bunch of different circumstances where we don't need them to show up in a very narrow, rigid way in order to be safe to us. Like we, we can accept them for who they are. Um, and so the book is even designed, like there's a reason why relationships is like the last chapter because it kind of, it's the gift that comes out of all this healing work. I love that you say, basically there's a way for us to live in a healing body that it's an mm-hmm. actively healing body. We don't have to reach yeah. the the pinnacle like you said of a healed. Yeah. But we we are constantly learning, evolving and healing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and that's a that's a lifetime thing and I don't mean that in a discouraging way of like so you must be in therapy for the rest of your life or doing this deep excavation work where there's no joy or no pleasure. Like it's just always tears and darkness. Like, no, like the goal of healing is living. It's mm-hmm. it's being present. And that's going to look different at different times in our lives. And um, And so that's kind of what the invitation is in the book is to, you know, view this as a bit of a lifelong process, but that every moment that you make a different choice, that you lean in differently, that you can go inwards for that safety, where you can set a boundary, trust yourself, offer yourself compassion. Um, those are all moments of healing but, and moments that we can really celebrate and be like, wow, yeah, like I did that. That's cool. Um, rather than just having to get to this like end point, that we're, this elusive end point that always seems just like a little bit further away, like, you know, sanctification. Um, so there's that. <laughs> yeah. Try being so, a Wesley and yeah. it's entire sanctification. It's like a huge <laughs> path. It's literally a pathway. Exactly. There's a picture. I, yeah. I'll show you someday. 
So by the time this podcast comes out, the book will be out. It's called When Religion Hurts You, and it's available worldwide, wherever you purchase books, um, also available on Audible. Um, so if you want to listen to it, it's there. You can go to my website, which is drlauraeanderson.com. And like everything that I do uh, with the book, the podcasts that I host, Substack, projects coming up, all that is there. And then I um, also am the director of the Center for Trauma Resolution and Recovery. So you can go there if you want to work with somebody on these issues. We, it's funny. (laughs) Uh, it's kind of this like known thing that in January, divorce lawyers and therapists see a huge increase in clientele. (laughs) Um, and it's because of family (laughs) dynamics. It's like, Oh my gosh, I've just spent all this time with my family. All these, these things have come up and here we are. So um, anyways, so we have a lot of different coaches who are trained in um, various trauma resolution modalities and understand the intersections of family dynamics and God or, you know, high control religion, how that all goes together. So that's trauma resolution and recovery.com. I cannot say enough good things about your work. I cannot wait to read your book. Mm. Um, at the time of recording, the book is not out yet. We have to wait another week. Uh, but it's, I mean, every time we talk to you, it is is—it is a gift. You, ha- you have such a level of understanding for like what so many of us have been through and mm. you provide such excellent ways forward and ways of thinking mm-hmm. about the world and how to navigate these challenging things. And because it doesn't look the same for any of us, right? It <laughs> looks different. And it's funny. I know that I I camped out a lot on myself. And some of it's because this is really new for me, like my family dynamics, mm-hmm. like this stuff as people in my family are deconstructing and siblings are getting divorced. Like we always kind of had this very idyllic family holiday situation, or at least that's what I thought. That's what was mm-hmm. like marketed to me, right? And now mm-hmm. that I'm an adult and realizing like the messy underbelly of all of that and figuring out like, oof, like how how do we go forward? And like, yeah, last year the holidays like broke me. I was a shell of a human being after the holidays and I need to not do that this year. And so I think that like some of this is for me and I know that so many of you are in the same boat. That's fascinating what you're saying about January because I totally like by the time January comes around and just like I need like a fucking lobotomy. Like I don't know. <laughs> so uh, get your therapy now early just like everyone plan to have some decompression time. My birthday lands January 8th. It's like the first week of January. So I started when I turned 40, I started just doing like a week of no. <laughs> I love it. And love it's it. so hard yeah. to do. Um, but it did start to like help me replenish and understand that I could take some time for myself after mm-hmm. all of this emotional, you know, experience um, mm-hmm. navigating mm-hmm. family times during holidays. Thank you so much, yeah. Dr. Laura, for yes, joining us today. Mm-hmm. If you're a fan of the show and you want to keep up with us, we are Holy Ghosting on most social media sites or Holy Ghosting Pod. And if you want to support the show, you can subscribe via Apple Podcasts or you can become a patron at patreon.com slash Holy Ghosting. And uh, you heard it here first. Dr. Laura will be coming on a high times with the most high with us. <laughs> We're going to make it happen. So become a patron or subscribe so you can get access to that amazing thing. And check We're out the feed now. We're going to test her Bible knowledge. We are yes. going to, yes. 
We, I get um, a lot of worship songs in my head when I'm high. I, they all, That's like, true. ones that I haven't thought of in, like, 15 years. It's a mm-hmm. fun time. Yeah. We so. like to pick a good topic and then just let it go. So join us for that. <laughs> and remember to go get Dr. Laura's book. Go check her out on her website, drlauraeanderson.com. And we'll see you on the interwebs. Have a good one, ghosties. Bye. Bye. Like, I don't know if anybody in in this group, well, other than myself, is going through any sort of perimenopause symptoms. But, yeah. you know, when your estrogen starts to decrease, you really give two shits. Like, you just don't <laughs> give two shits about anything. And all of a sudden, you're like, oh, this is why so many women get divorced in their 40s. Yeah. Because they're like, I'm not going to keep doing the things that I've been told I'm supposed to do because I I don't have to. Um, I am the way nice. I am. I mean, there's like a lot of symptoms that go with it that are unpleasant, but there are certain things where you're like, "Mm -hmm, this is good. I really like not having to care about everybody. (laughs) Me and Meg have been calling it our fuck it 40s. Oh, you were just going to say it. Yeah. Fuck it. (laughs) 